Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. The Democratic Republic of Congo is a land of contrast. It has been from time immemorial. Whether one speaks of King Leopold's Congo Free State, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, Adam Ockchill, King Leopold's Ghost, or Michaela Rong's In the Footsteps of Mr. Kurtz, Congo brings about strong feelings among people. With its minerals, forests, and big rivers, Congo is a rich country. It is also a poor country, given its dysfunctional states and government that have failed to meet the expectations of the populations. But Congo's most important resource is its populations, which are very dynamic and have continued to push for democratic change. Three and a half years after Felix Tshisekedi became president of Democratic Republic of Congo, confidence in the DRC government and institutions remain low. Meanwhile, the security situation in the east of the country continues to deteriorate, particularly with the resurgence of the March 23 movement, also known as M23. In a new survey report titled Congolese Seek Democratic Politicians Between a Thirst for Accountability and Social Dissatisfaction, the Congo Research Group, CRG, and Ebuteli, its research partner in the DRC, in partnership with the Bureau d'Etudes de Recherche et de Consulting International, Bercy, note a persistent distrust of institutions and a decried security policy. Conducted between April and June 2022, the survey shows that despite controversial election cycles, the Congolese remain committed to democracy. 77% of respondents believe this is the best form of government. However, this confidence in democracy is accompanied by a distrust of the country's institutions and their leaders. Only 17% of Congolese surveyed strongly support the way the president of the republic works. Felix Tshisekedi even received his worst score in terms of unfavorable opinion, 51%, since 2019. There is a similar lack of confidence in the central government, provincial authorities, and even the institutions involved in managing the electoral process. Joining me today on Into Africa to discuss the survey are Joshua Walker, Director of Programs at the Congo Research Group, and Francesca Bomboko, Co-Founder and Director of Bercy. Joshua Walker has been working in and researching Democratic Republic of Congo since 2004. Before joining the Congo Research Group, he was a research associate at the Wits Institute for Social and Economic Research in Johannesburg, South Africa. He has also worked for the Carter Center and United Nations Peacekeeping Mission in the DRC. His research on politics, economics, and culture in the DRC sits at the intersection of academic knowledge and policymaking. It has included work on extractive economies and the social effect, public culture, and conflict and politics in the DRC. Francesca Bomboko has been working 
in the state building and peace building field since 1990, when she co-founded the Bureau d'études de recherche et de consulting international, Bercy, the Kinshasa-based research center and opinion poll organization was the first of its kind in DRC. Bercy is a limited liability company intended for the implementation of opinion polls, research project to improve evidence-based decision-making in the DRC. Since 2016, the Bercy's opinion polls are conducted jointly with the Congo Research Group, an independent non-profit research project aimed at understanding the violence affecting millions of Congolese based at the Center for International Cooperation at New York University. Joshua and Fantetska, good afternoon and welcome to Into Africa. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Very good. It's a pleasure to have you here. As I've said in my intro, Congo is a land of contrast, and I think in a way your survey shows that. Can you please take a few minutes to tell our audience what is this survey about and what you found? Thanks, Bemba. So I, I think I'd like to start by saying that, as you mentioned, what the survey shows and what all of the polling work that we've done with Bercy shows is that Congolese people have a nuanced and sophisticated understanding of their country, of their institutions, of their politicians and their economy. And that sophistication means that sometimes the polling results that are generated reflect a kind of ambivalence. So as you mentioned, for instance, one of the things that we saw was that 77% of people still think that democracy is the best form of government in the DRC. But we see that between 2016 and now, elections have significantly decreased from 38% to 18% as being the people's most important priority. Similarly, we see, for instance, that a majority of Congolese want to maintain provincial assemblies, which have been controversial bodies in the DRC over the last several years. But at the same time, a majority of 59%, 59.5% would prefer to have their own governors and senators elected directly by the people instead of indirectly by the provincial assembly members. One last thing I could point out is that despite being obviously a market economy, 40% of Congolese want a state-directed economy, which I think is a fairly high percentage. And so I think what this reflects overall is that Congolese people have varying different opinions about things, and we can observe trends, but it doesn't obviously mean that the Congolese people are monolithic. And I think that what happens in political discourse, certainly in Congo, as in other places, is that we tend to see people saying the population thinks this or the population wants that. And when we look at the results of the poll, we see that obviously people, like in societies everywhere, are divided. Yeah, and, uh, if I may just add um, a few points to what you say, I totally agree with the, the picture that uh, Joshua just presented to you. I mean, a survey is just that, in a, a picture of a moment in time. What it shows, you know, if we look at it a little bit more carefully of trends, it also showed that uh, there's increasingly also a lack of trust from the Congolese people for heads of institutions. And let me take the example of the president, for instance. What we saw in previous survey, and including this is going to be interesting to see if that's going to be the case for Felix Tshisekedi, is that once you have crossed the line between good and bad opinion, you never go back. And in September, if I'm not mistaken, Felix Tshisekedi absolutely had more people that had 
bad opinion of him than people who had a good opinion of him. And what we saw when we follow Joseph Kabila and when we follow before him, his father, and before him, Mobutu, we saw that, you know, you cross that red line and having more people, the bad opinion of you versus a good opinion of you, you never go back. And for me, as a political analyst of the DRC scene, I see that as the beginning of a lack of trust that can erode most of the, I wanted to say legitimacy, but I don't think it's a, it's a good word. But uh, it's something that definitely we need to follow across time up until uh, we have the election to see if it's confirmed. But the trend that we see, the downward trend that we see, if it is confirmed. This is very interesting. Uh, thank you both. So a few things there we can unpack. I think one, Joshua, you talked about, if I heard you right, the reduction in the confidence in the election, in democracies and mode of delivery, even though I think your survey overall says people still believe democracy is the best form of government, which is correct. What has contributed to that reduction? I think you said 17%. Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously the controversial elections of 2018 have seriously contributed to the way that people perceive if not democracy as a whole, as we can tell, then obviously it's contributed to the confidence they have specifically in elections. But I think what's interesting, and again, this speaks to, you know, again, the kind of nuance of trying to understand Congolese public opinion is that while people may not put elections anymore as high of a priority in terms of public policy as they did in 2016, we've seen that between December last year and June of this year, there's been an increase in the number of Congolese who say they're intending to vote. So whereas we had been since the elections in 2018 on a steady downward trend in terms of the people who intended to vote, which we took to reflect a lack of faith in elections and in the electoral commission as an institution, we see that now in the run-up to the 2023 elections, more Congolese are now starting to say, that they do want to vote. So the need for election is not dissipated. People still believe that the electoral process needs to be strengthened, even though they're losing some confidence in it. I think so. You also talk about institutions. I mean, this is what your survey is about. On one level, we know that the DRC had gone to a, some sort of decentralization, which is, has been haphazard at best, with uh, provincial assemblies being elected by the populations, the governor, I think, is not elected by the population, is elected through uh, by the assembly that has been elected. So an indirect suffrage, if you will. And then from those assemblies, the uh, senators representing those provinces at the capital, at the national level, stem from that vote as well. So from your survey, I think you were talking about people still wanting to have the assemblies, even though we've seen that provincial assemblies have been problematic. In many ways, the provinces have not or were not prepared to receive those assemblies. Most of these places have no adequate place to meet. As simple as that, just a structure way to meet. And then access to their own constituencies, particularly in the rural areas. If you go to places like uh, Olomami in Katanga or places like in uh, Chwapa or you go to Bafleuv to go deep to the Mayombe and other places, yet the structure being put in place. Can you talk more about why people are interested in this and what does the survey show? Well, I, I think that um, 
I think the way we need to understand this is that, um, yes, decentralization has been rocky in many cases, particularly for the provinces that were created that did not, in which the capital city was not already a capital city of one of the older provinces, um, and particularly in poorer parts of the country where there aren't as many resources to um, house and uh, allow the provincial government to function. Um, and I think it's true that a lot of Congolese uh, probably understand that there have been credible allegations of vote buying when it came to the elections of the governors by the provincial assembly members, as well as the elections of the senators by the provincial assembly members. And we even saw Felix Chisichetti at the beginning of his term in 2019 call that out publicly. But I think at the same time, Congolese are able to recognize that the provincial assemblies may be vehicles for corruption on the one hand, but at the same time, they can also serve as a legitimate check on the power of the governor or of the provincial executive. And I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. It's possible to say, well, we don't think that they're necessarily the most honest of people, but at the same time, they can still serve a useful role, particularly if they're reformed. Okay. And so I think that's why they people have said, yes, we want to keep the provincial assemblies, but also we want to change the way that the votes for governors and senators are conducted. Okay. And I think considering the state of infrastructure across DRC, it's pretty much all the provinces that have this problem in terms of access. There is really no province that has the right infrastructure for the provincial assembly to really be close to the constituents. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't you go to the Kivu, it's the same problem, trying to reach Walungu, trying to reach Tubimbi. Whether in the war zone or no war zone is the same challenge. So given that, though, Francesca, how do people see the institutions? What does the survey reveal? I mean, you've been doing this. You have a good horizon. You talked about a snapshot of time. Yes, this particular report is a snapshot, April to June 2022. But Bercy and the Congo Research Group have run polls for a while now, I think over the last six years or so. And so you have an horizon from which to speak. What has been surprising this time? What I think was most surprising regarding institution was the fact that, you know, more than 60% of the respondents felt that they didn't have enough information to take, for instance, the parliament about what was going on. It kind of indicated that Regarding the democratical process that we have in DRC, there seems to be a lack of communications between the populations and those different institutions. So which, whatever perception that we may capture in our survey, it's dependent on the type of information they do get from them. And Joshua can definitely complete that, you know, with the work that they've done on Tala Tala, which may document that even at the more qualitative level than our survey does. But what surprised me the most when we look at different institution perceptions was the corruption. When we ask, you know, which institution do you feel is the most corrupted? The police was number one. And we opened up this time, you know, to greater uh, institution that we did in our earlier survey. And the parliament, at uh, the time when we look, only looked at political institution, was on top of as the most corrupted institutions. And when we open up broadly to more institutions, we found that the security apparatus seems to be perceived as the most corrupted institution. So this is something that I did find kind of surprising. 
when we look at the political context. So you're saying that uh, it's both the police and the parliament, that the police is on top of the parliament when it comes to corruption? This is exactly what I'm saying. On the judiciary as well? Absolutely. So we're talking about legislators in terms of the parliament that um, have no trust vis-a-vis the population. And then we're talking about the security, which is the police, law enforcement and justice. Um, that also do not generate any trust uh, with the population. Was there any specific reason you think that drove this? Well, we, we didn't ask why. My experience as a Congolese, and I think this is, you know, when you live in Kinshasa, when you read the newspaper, when you see, when you follow on a day-to-day basis what's going on at the political level, those are the most obvious examples of corruption that you hear and that you see even on the streets. It's interesting because more people think that the police is the is the most corrupted institutions, but at the same time, only a third of the people has experienced that corruption on the personal level regarding the police. So it's more a question of what they see than what you experience personally or what you hear is their family member that has been confronted to that at a personal level. So when you look at it on the other side, it's like, it's surprising to find out that more than 70% of the population had never been and never paid anything to the police. So that tells you uh, the sophistications of the system in place. We did some qualitative research, you know, for the World Bank on the citizen evaluations of the security sectors and other sectors. When we did focus group with uh, some police and some members of the population, they actually have targets. No, they do not ask money to everybody. They actually choose. They actually have quotas that they need to bring in at the end of the day. And they actually have targets. And who do they target? But it's done in such an in such an open way. In one of the reports that we have done at the time for transparency as the national, some of the West African, I forgot his name, were saying corruptions. I will say that in French, and you may translate for me, ça bouge les frontières de la honte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, corruption moves, moves the limits of shame. <laughs> it's maybe those two institutions and the judiciary and the one where you can, where it's more obvious than all the others. Okay. But I think people, people talk. Of course, these are social setting. People share the stories of the abuses at Absolutely. the end of the magistrate or at the end of the police. And I think for the parliament, the corruption of the parliament is in the open for everyone to see. Whether they're getting the jeeps, whether they're getting the Hyundai, all that is, I mean, in Congo, the deliberation of the parliament is on TV and Congolese are typically glued to their TV and to YouTube. So I think for the parliament, it's very hard to hide the uh, the corruption. Josh, to you. I want to just add something else about the parliament, though. So, I mean, one of the interesting things that we've noticed in, uh, as Francesca mentioned, the talatala.cd, which is our parliament and government tracker that CRG and Ebuteli have been doing for the last uh, about two years. And when we've gone to present the findings of our parliament tracker in places outside Kinshasa, places like Lubumbashi, places like Kisangani, etc., and we've been able to organize panels. And one of the things that we've noticed is that when we've succeeded in getting a national deputy, a national MP, to participate in that panel. The level of debate that you see with people from local civil society reflects this kind of thirst for simply having access to your parliamentarian, right? 
Most people have no interaction whatsoever with their deputy, and they're not entirely sure how they're elected. And then what they do know about them, they see, as you mentioned, through media, social media on the radio, things like a $21,000 per month salary or the Jeeps or whatever. So I think that that distance between the parliament, I mean, I'm not saying that the parliament doesn't have serious problems, but I think that the distance that exists between most Congolese and their elected representatives at the national level contributes to, I think, greater misunderstanding, greater suspicion and mistrust. And interestingly, if you look at the survey results, one of the things we found was that it was actually the local authorities who have the highest percentage of, who enjoy the highest percentage of confidence from Congolese of pretty much any level of authority in the country. And interestingly enough, what Joshua said, and we didn't have local elections, um, but you see that local authority, even traditional chief, you know, that has the highest level of confidence for the population. So it's very interesting to, to, to point that out. So I think this shows a couple of things. One, definitely the lack of complicity between the so-called elected officials and the constituents. I think we referred to that early on when we started this conversation where people just don't have access. This elected official live either in the provincial capital or they live in Kinshasa altogether. Even those who are elected for the provincial level, a lot of them live in Kinshasa. So the people actually don't know them. And uh, I think Josh was talking about people don't even understand how they got elected. And I think this is also reflected in the case of DRC where we see every electoral cycle, the majority of people get voted out. And there's a new, a new set of characters who come into the parliament. So that's one point. But the second point is the value of local leadership. In other words, this, I think we're talking about the administrateur de territoire. We're talking about the, the mayors. We're talking about the bourgmestre and so on, the chef de collectivité. That's actually very interesting. Let's talk a little more about the leadership. Let's go back to President Chisekedi because Francesca, you'd mentioned that President Chisekedi traction with his own people have gone down. Can you speak a little more to that and what this may or may not presage, if you will, for the elections next year? It's still above most politicians. You know, if you ask the questions <coughs> of the election, I mean, down regarding the perceptions as a personality, as the institution, because the president is an institution. Uh, in DRC, you know, according to the constitutions, and it's going down ever since uh, its first 100 days. So, what is it? What is it standing to? What is standing per your survey in June when you completed the survey? What was the percentage, roughly, about the, for the president? The in June, the positive opinions were 39.8 percent. The negatives were 51.2, and the undecideds or the people who didn't answer were 8.9. It is approval rate was 51%. But what you see here, Mvemba, sorry, just to, to quickly add, is that his disapproval rate is the highest that it's ever been. But between December and June, his approval rating has also increased. And the reason for that is that we went from 28.4% of people saying that they were undecided or didn't know to only 8.9. Okay. So I think it, so it's a reflection of a kind of people's opinions starting to become more settled okay. on the president. And so that's how we can see both at the same time higher negatives, but also higher positives. So what was the improvement on the positive that you saw during that period that you just referred to? It went from 29.81% to 398 Okay. 
All right, back to Francesca. No, but on overall, I mean, you know, he has he has lost about twenty three point percentage points since March two thousand and nineteen up until today. That's quite considerable. It is true that from December and June we have been some improvement in his approval rating, and it's interesting to find out what happened in December and what what happened in June. Uh, and I think in December, I mean, at least if you really look just at the context when we did that survey, that was just after his trip to Kasai the images of the roads of how difficult it was to actually go from one place to another right after a huge publicity was that was done about programs such Chilejemu, you know about reconstruction of the provinces really i think hit him hard and kasai is his homeland is his own province his own province correct the province of origin okay it came to the point where Instead of holding a meeting, it was actually let people actually vent their frustrations by just listening to what people had said to him. And he was supposed to go after that to the Equatorial region and and, and he didn't go to the Equatorial provinces. He didn't go because he didn't want, I mean, according to some some of the people close to him that we spoke to, he didn't want to be repetitions of the same thing that happened. He wanted to make sure that the road that he went, which was a road that he promised to reconstruct, was reconstructed. So he's still spending and spent a lot of effort since then to make sure that some of the promises that he has done at the regional level were actually implemented at the local level. So this way, when he goes, I mean, to, according to the, to the people that close to him that work with him next time that I, when he goes to the provinces at least he can show some results some of the things that you see i promise you road there and here, here it is this is the road i promise better school here it is better school it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen from june up until the next survey that we're going to do is probably going to be on the end of september that's going to be a telephone survey based on the population that we surveyed this time okay. uh, avoid any selection biases and that's going to be interesting to find out if the rhetoric is actually matching concrete results on the ground okay this problem of infrastructure has affected the complexity as i said the complicity between the people and the leaders we saw this during the kabila years as well kabila getting stuck in mud in north kivu he had insisted to drive and it became quite an embarrassment for anybody who has seen that, not just for the presidency, but really for the country as well. So it's kind of uh, alarming that this may affect President Chisekedi getting closer to his own people because he doesn't want to be embarrassed, having not kept his own promises. Having said that, though, one thing that I would like to talk about is in your survey, you also talk about the perception of the various external partners of the DRC. So you talk about the neighbors, how they perceived. You also talk about international actors, China, the UK, France, the US. You know, I'm sitting in Washington. In Washington, the government of the United States can be obsessed with China, can be obsessed with Russia and other powers. Where does the survey take us when it comes to the perception of this foreign actors in the DRC and then their neighbors. So let's start with the, the foreign actors, China, the United States, and so on. I saw that Turkey was polling pretty well. 
which is quite interesting. Can you, either one of you speak about this? Well, just to give you the figures. So the United States, in terms of foreign actors, is actually at the top of the list with 73.3% of Congolese saying that it plays a positive role, followed by France at 71.1%, Belgium at 674 and then China at 65.4%. So how do we explain that? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I think partly this has to do with the role of soft power by countries like the United States. But obviously, you know, China's perceptions are, you know, 65% of people think that it's playing a positive role. That's not at all bad. Yeah, but I, I have to say also that the United States is a very, had, had a very dynamic ambassador. Ambassador Mike Hammer, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with it. He, he was there, I mean, on all fronts. And uh, it has been very close to the population. Even, you know, there's something in DRC, if you want to know that somebody is very popular. Uh, you know, you haven't made it in DRC if you don't have a nickname. He ha and he had a nickname, Nzita. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so, and, and I would think the personality of the ambassador is engagement with all levels of society, civil society, the government, the press the media has a lot to do with it okay and china okay. and i would say it's more has more to do with the constructions and everywhere you go particularly in kinshasa and in some of the provinces also now you you see some kind of infrastructure reconstruction going on there and uh, most most of them is being led by china i think that that explains some of the role that china i mean some of the good perception that china still has and it's not bad as a result but but we also saw turkish yeah i'm curious about turkey what, tell us about turkey they're taking the lead on China regarding reconstruction of uh, social infrastructures in DRC. And they've been signing quite a lot of deals. They've been quite involved with the government in, in a lot of great, you know, entre guillemets, chantier. I would say this is, this is something that is reflected in the survey. But what we also saw, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is Russia is, is moving up. So Russia, Russia is gaining traction on what ground? Where is Russia gaining traction? And why? Do they have soft power? Is it defense? Or where is the traction, Russia traction coming from? I, I suspect uh, that this has to do with a certain amount of kind of uh, reflexive popularity for Russia that emerges from feelings that the West has been hypocritical in its support for Ukraine to the detriment of other countries like the DRC that have faced similar situations. But just to go back to the, the survey, you know, one of the things, this is sort of part of the nuance of the questions, right? There's figures I gave you earlier, which talk about the countries that Congolese view as playing a positive role in the country with the United States at the head are different than the figures that we get when we ask um, simply, when we just do a, a survey on the popularity of different countries. And that's where we see Turkey leading followed by China and the United States sort of a little farther behind. So again, it gets to the nuance of how the questions are asked. So this is interesting. You said when you ask about what countries are playing positive role, then the U.S. is leading. Yeah. But then when you talk about popularity, then Turkey is on top. That's right. Wow. And so what, how do you explain that level of popularity? You know, when you come to Kinshasa this time, next to this uh, Turkish school, uh, they're going to build two high rises, which is going to be the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Budget. Okay. And a lot of constructions that's done at the Gombe and even at the periphery of Kinshasa 
is actually, you know, some of them, most of them are Chinese and Indian, but a lot of them are also Turkish. And we had received a lot of diplomatic delegations. And even the president of Turkish, I think. Yeah, he was just there, right? He was just there not long ago. And he, yeah. and he came quite often. And even during Kabila was just there. And you can hear that they signed this deal for this and that. I, I really think that they're there. Their presence is there. It's felt. You can read it on the press. You can see them on the local TV. You can hear them on the radio, you know, about those projects that they're planning on doing. And they, they I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's something to follow. Let's talk about the neighbors. We know there have been a lot of tensions in terms of peace, particularly when it comes to Uganda and Rwanda. We know what we read about M23. We've seen the spat between President Chisekedi and, uh, and President Kagame and so on. Where does this stand? What does the service show? How do the people of Congo feel about those neighbors? I think generally speaking, the scores, the results for the neighboring countries are substantially lower than the other list of countries that we gave you. So, for instance, Rwanda comes in at 10.7% only of people thinking it's playing a positive role in DRC. Uganda at 15.4% and the Republic of Congo at 35.7%. So, substantially lower than any of the other countries we cited before, China, the United States, UK, France, etc. Okay. One thing that will be interesting in the, in the, with the external actors is the United Nations, which has become an institution unto itself second only to the Congolese state. Where did they fare? How did they fare in the survey? Or did you even ask that question? We did. We have all been following the United Nations, particularly United Nations missions in DRC since the beginning, you know, with the first survey that we did in 2016 with the, with the Czech and also this one. But it's been going down ever since. It's not surprising that, you know, what, I mean, us following the Don one trend of the perceptions of the United Nations missions in DRC, we were not surprised, you know, about what happened in the Kivu regarding, you know, the resurgence of the M23, M23 really reopened old wounds that we had with the MONUSCO at then and the MONUC then and the MONUSCO, you know, today with no Kunda, no job and all of that. It took them, I think the communication is getting better a little since the different incident that we've seen. Uh, but definitely the lack of trust between the United Nations missions of the populations has been actually widened as, as we go. As this conflict in the East is, is not over with all the resources that were put via the United Nations to end those results. Joshua, I don't know if you agree with that analysis. It's going to be interesting to have your point of view of that. It seems to kind of put a cover on the responsibility of the local army and local authority. The first person to blame for the insecurity in the eastern region, population-wise, seems to be uh, the United Nations versus. And then on, on, at the second level, you see that then they're questioning local authorities and they're questioning the local army. So as long as this is the case, and as long as the, the conflict is, is actually continuing, on dit perdure? Yeah, 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 yes, yes, perdure. It continues. Lingers. Uh, it's, it's still going to be the case. I mean, they're, they're going down. Okay. But their rating is systematically going down, but this has been a trend. Okay. Thank you. But then with that, then the other question would be, what did the army, the armed forces of the DRC, how do they register in this survey? Joshua. Maybe let me start by saying that 
When we ask people what do they think are the most important causes of conflict in Eastern Congo, the results come out with on top the interference by the Rwandan government, followed by the interference by Western countries, corrupt institutions, poverty and inequality. And then we see the weakness of the national army followed by the heritage of colonialism. Wow, okay. There's a strong feeling that the most important factors determining instability in Eastern Congo today are non-Congolese actors. But I think when you look at the statistics regarding violence in Eastern DRC that are produced by our Kivu security tracker, you see that the FARDC, the National Army, is one of the biggest actors creating insecurity in DRC, or at least responsible for incidents of violence in Eastern DRC. Question about corruption is interesting. You see that the, the army, like about 37% perceive the army as being the most corrupt institution, so well below the police. But 32% feel like MONUSCO is also one of the most corrupted. So they have a difference. We have only a difference of five points, but the army, I mean, the FRDC is still higher to that level. Okay. All right, then. This is really fascinating. I'm not sure when you're going to do your next survey. Francesca, you said maybe in September. We'd like to see how this evolves, as I said, particularly leading to the 2023 elections that is shaping up slowly. Was there any sense of the people's feeling towards the Electoral Commission? Quite a lot. Did you capture it in any number in terms of percentage or you just had a general sense of how people felt around the city? Perception of the head of the Electoral Commission. His approval rating was around 40%. His disapproval rating was 44%. The current, you mean Denika Dima, the current head of the Electoral Wait, Commission? Yes. His disapproval rate was 44%. Positive opinions at 28%, negative at 44%, and 28 who said they didn't know. That's amazing. He just took over. It's not that long ago. I wonder why his rating so low. If I had to guess, I would say that this probably has to do with the amount of media coverage surrounding his nomination and the politicization or the perceived politicization of that process. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, Francesca, please. Yeah, when you compare that his predecessor, Colonel Langa, his disapproval rating was only 38% in 2016. So when he, when he went into office. So, it, you know, and I do agree that the coverage and, and the time also it took for all the parties, the civil society representative of the churches and the political parties, the parliament to actually agree on the, the composition of the bureau of the same of the electoral commissions. At the time when we were doing survey, everybody, you know, approval rating was down. Okay. And most people actually, when you look at the intention of, of voting, are, are you going to vote? When we asked them at the time, most people, I mean, we see, we saw the highest percentage of people didn't want to vote. And so it had a very detrimental impact on the perception of, of all the institution altogether. And not surprisingly, is actually taking into, is uh, going into the, his new position within that uh, unfavorable context, unfavorable context. On the Electoral Commission as a whole, we asked the question, do you have confidence that the Electoral Commission can organize credible, free and transparent elections? And the answers on that came back 45% no, 39% yes, and 16% who said they didn't know. I think that's also just a reflection, perhaps, of the sort of accumulated mistrust of the Electoral Commission since 2018 and, and even before. 
On this program here, we always mind the gap. In other words, we ask the question. We know that there is a perception that people have of a situation. In this case, perception people have of Congo and its people, and then the reality of what actually happens on the ground. If you had a magic wand, both of you, and you want to close that gap, how will you close that gap so that policymakers, both in the DRC, in Washington, in Paris, and elsewhere, will um, help close that gap? Are there specific things you like to be t- to see done? You know, you have all the numbers, you have the data, which is fantastic, but the people expect certain things. Those data are supposed to get us to those things. We hope. How will you close that gap between the numbers and the reality of the populations of DRC? Joshua, go ahead. I suspect that a lot of people who come to the DRC as policymakers who haven't spent any or much time there implicitly or or sort of consciously or unconsciously come to their position with a substantial amount of bias and sort of expectations about what the DRC is or what the DRC isn't. I think that, you know, there's a, there's the sort of general perception of the DRC in the West and particularly, I think, in North America that is extremely negative and that has a very long history that has to do with the idea of the Congo as a place of war, misery, and, and illness. And obviously what we see is that that's not at all the case and that the Congolese people are incredibly sophisticated in their understanding of how and why they find themselves collectively in the position that they're in. And so I think that, you know, if I were to try to close that gap, it would be to have people who are coming to the DRC spend a, a lot more time reading, learning about the DRC and talking with Congolese of all stripes to get a better, more nuanced appreciation for the country, which is actually what's reflected in the polling data that we've been producing for the last several years. And to understand that the Congo, like every place, is full of ambivalence and contradictions and everything else you can imagine. But within that, you see a lot of germs uh, of hope, the seeds for hope that come out of institutions and civil society and elsewhere. And that therefore, you know, it's a place that we can all be hopeful in and for. What I would well, add to... Yes, uh, please, Francesca. On the data and that was regarding local authority, local officials versus elected officials. I mean, the survey definitely showed there's more confidence on local officials, on local authorities than elected officials. And we haven't had local elections since starting this democratic process. And, and I really think that this is something that we should, you know, if, if there's something that need one of the recommendations, we were this kind of report that we were doing recommendation why to really try to look if we can. I, I think it's about time that we implement those local elections for two reasons. One, the data shows this is something that the population really wants. Two, the data shows that they're closest to the people and the level of confidence is much higher than when we look at other institutions. And three, it, this could be a very good training ground for greater responsibilities. And we, we see that in every other country. We see that in Europe. You know, before we become prime minister, you had the head, you were elected uh, as the mayor, you know, of a small town, as the governor of a state, and so on. So, and then we found ourselves being elected president 
or being elected the head of the parliament or being elected national senator with no experiences whatsoever with the management of, I would say, not even a city of people of knowing how to deal with the different issue that has to do with being a statement, uh, an homme d'état. And so I really, I really think that, you know, if there's one thing that uh, I think this survey shows is the needs for a better representations and a better relations between authorities and the populations and the local election could fill that gap. Okay, well, thank you very much. This has really been insightful, informative. I hope that the audience that is following us has learned as much as, as I have. Joshua Walker, Director of Programs at the Congo Research Group. Francesca Bomboko, Co-Founder and Director of Bercy. I thank you both for joining us today. Merci. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. Thank you.